Welcome, everybody, to Maryland Chatters. We're very excited about today's episode. Former Senate President Mike Miller was one of the most consequential figures in Maryland political history. Love him or hate him, his record-breaking tenure as a presiding officer in the General Assembly, a stunning 33 years total, means he was a central player in every significant political fight and policy debate over the past several decades. His knowledge of history and his political skills were unparalleled. He had strong personal beliefs, but he also had an innate sense of where his caucus and the Senate and the entire state were moving, and he adjusted accordingly. He was, of course, a powerhouse in Annapolis, but he also had enormous influence in Prince George's County, where he grew up and came of age politically. He had enormous influence throughout all of Southern Maryland and in the judiciary and criminal justice systems. Governors came and went, but Mike Miller was always there. He served with eight governors, beginning with Marvin Mandel. The tributes to Senator Miller really began in January of 2019, when he first revealed that he had stage four prostate cancer. They continued that fall when he gave up the gavel as Senate president, and continued into 2020 when the Senate hung his portrait in the chamber, and at the end of the year when he resigned his Senate seat. And of course, his death this January at the age of 78 was a sad and seminal moment. There was a lot of talk about how Mike Miller loved the state of Maryland, loved the state Senate, loved the University of Maryland, his alma mater, and loved his big and formidable family. But he also had a second family that he also loved and admired and was forever loyal to, his staff. And today we're privileged to talk to three of his former chiefs of staff. Mickey Gruber, who served in the job from 2006 to 2017, and today is the executive director of the Department of Legislative Services in Annapolis, Joe Bryce, who held the job for three years in the mid and late 1990s and is now a lobbyist with the firm Manus Canning and Associates, is also here. And Jake Weissman, he was Senator Miller's last chief of staff and holds that role now for Senate President Bill Ferguson is with us. So welcome to you all and thanks so much for agreeing to come on Maryland Chatters. Thanks for having us. Thanks. Thanks. So uh, first I want to ask you all how you came to work for President Miller in the first place. Um, And I want to ask you kind of what your expectations were when you got there and how they really lined up with uh, how the reality lined up with your expectations. And so I think I might go in reverse chronological order and start with Jake. Um, You started working for the Senate president's office in 2009, I believe. And at at that point, you were a few years removed from college and you'd recently completed a stint as president of Maryland Young Democrats. Um, and then you'd also worked for Delegate Resnick in the House. So um, how did you wind up there with President Miller? Yeah, so I, I was actually just starting. Uh, I was a couple months into my stint as president of uh, YDM at the time. But, um, I mean, better be lucky than good. Um, Vicky and Pat kind of, Pat Murray uh, kind of pulled me out of obscurity. I was working for Delegate Resnick in the House of Delegates, and, uh, recruited me. And I'll never forget the interview with Mike because it was one of – like just one of these moments that sticks with you where um, I'd sat down with Vicky for an hour and they had me meet with uh, former Senator uh, Gargiola and former at the time majority leader Case Meyer. And I came in to, to meet with Mike um, nervous as could be wearing, you know, an ill fitting suit. And um, it was about a four minute long interview uh, where he asked me mainly about my family, um, a little bit about my background um, and then said, okay, uh, and we stood up to leave and I was like, I don't know what's going on here. Um, and uh, I'm actually headed out the door, uh, kind of where Joy Walker uh, sits. And he just looks at me. He's like, a social worker. We could use one of those around here. 
because uh, uh-huh. I had my master's in social work and still didn't know what that meant. Um, I, I had an inkling that things were heading in the right direction that night. He was at a Harford County Young Dems meeting and I got a text from a friend of mine who was there. They were like, do you work in Mike Miller's office now? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and he was like, uh, he was just here talking about how he just hired the president of Young Democrats of Maryland. Um, so that was, uh, but you know, it was just one of those, one of those moments where, and, and I think that was everyone's experience for Mike was he wanted to know who you were as a person and uh, what values you had and, and about your family and about kind of where you came from and relied a lot more on that and his gut than uh, what was on a piece of paper. You must have bonded over the fact that you both come from big families. Yeah, he was he was one of 10 and I'm I'm one of 10. Uh, so I think that helped. Um, he he later would glom on to the fact that I'm a Jew born on Christmas, uh, which he always right. got a <laughs> kick out of. And, you know, just just little. I mean, that was it. That was it with Mike. Like he would find just little things uh, to just just hang on to. And it would, you know, kind of make a picture for him. And how he would introduce you. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, you forever be the Jew born on Christmas, right? Absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, I would I would tell people, uh, you know, as far as Mike was concerned, I was uh, my introduction. Everyone gets three introductory facts, and mine was a Jew born on Christmas, um, one of ten, and that my mom was a school teacher. Okay. Yeah. So, what was and your your twin brother is a yes, rabbi. My twin brother, my twin yeah, brother is a right. rabbi, and my my wife uh, lost all respect uh, once she started dating me. Oh, <laughs> <here>. <laughs> well, you know, he he knew he, he knew how to he knew he knew how to hurt a guy, right? Um, he was riffing uh, off a joke she said. So. Yeah, right, right. Uh, so what? So what was your? You had you had a few different gigs in the Senate President's office under. President Miller. So what, how did, what did you, other than being like the, the in-house social worker, what did you, uh, what was, what did you do initially? I mean, uh, a bit of everything, right? One of the things I really valued about Mike as, as a boss was he was a very big believer that like everybody did everything. Um, and that was drilled into me very, very early um, in a, in a good way, right? Spent all day just following him around carrying his Diet Coke. Um yeah. And that's a productive day. I mean, uh, I spent a lot of time down in the district, getting to know the district, taking pictures of him uh, at different events, um, and then also transitioning off onto the caucus campaign side in 2010, 2014, and 2018. Uh, And so kind of having a a foot in both worlds um, in that regard. Yeah. And then you became... you became chief in in and, yeah became deputy, November of 2018 or something yeah became deputy chief of staff in November 11 um, right. and then uh, chief of staff in November 2018. Okay, okay. Um, well, it's interesting that you mentioned the following him around the district because that's something I want to ask you guys about in a bit. But um, so so Vicky, when you became President Miller's chief of staff, I think. You had been you had worked for the Department of Legislative Services at that point for six or seven years, and you had been the counsel to the to the Budget and Tax Committee, um, the Senate Budget and Tax Committee. But did did you have an earlier stint with with him, or is that my imagination? No, I didn't. Um, I actually prior to that, I had worked at a lobbying firm, right? But with two people that were very close to him, Jerry Evans and John Steeroff. So I had met him and interacted with him before um 
you know, so I knew him, but, but then when I worked at legislative services and particularly staffed the whole casino gaming issue, I got to know him a lot better, interacted yeah. more. So. Right. Right. And so, and so, um, how did you wind up as his chief of staff and, and let's, you know, for, for those insider listeners, I mean, who, who did you replace? I'm trying to, I, I, I have, I have some, I've, I have the sequence. Tim Perry. Mine. Yeah. See, Tim Perry. Replaced him. Okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So and, after the, I guess it was a 2007 election, um, Tim and I, you know, we had become friends over the years and, and, you know, in his role working in the president's office and my role in budget and tax, we've gotten to know each other pretty well. So we were, went out for a walk um, to get some coffee. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm leaving the president's office and Senate president would like you to take the job. Wow. And I said, no. (laughs) (laughs) Why? Why'd you say no? Well, um, I had two children. They were two and four. Right. And I had always viewed Senator Miller as uh, somebody who needed his chief of staff 24 seven. And I just didn't think that I could, that I could do that. And, you know, I, I, my kids were my priority. And so I just said, no. And that's basically what I said to Tim. I said, you know, my kids are my priority. They're two and four. And my husband works in Baltimore. If something happens at daycare, I got to drop it. I got to go. And I don't see Senator Miller agreeing to that. Right. So a couple days went by and Tim called me back and he said, Senator Miller wants to meet you in his office. Okay, so fine. So I met him uh, in in his office and Tim was there as well. And he said, look, I know you have young kids. I will be 100% supportive of you as a mother. Hmm. And I'm thinking to myself, please, like, (laughs) (laughs) I'm not believing a word of this. Wow. You know, but then then it occurred to me that, you know, those who had come before me, Joe and John Steerhoff and Gary and others, went on to really, really great jobs, even if they hated it. You know, they hung in there for about two years. <laughs> and then they went on to great jobs. And so I, you know, said to myself, okay, well, I think I can do this for two years. And then and then I'll probably get a really great job. And uh, so that's how I sort of ended up going to the office. And what I will say is uh, he, he was 100% true to his word. He was completely supportive of me as a mother. If I had to leave, even if it was during session, he was like, I know you got to go, go get the kids. I hope they're okay. It was, it, it was amazing. He, he did, he did not go back on his work. Wow. That's pretty cool. Um, Joe, I remember, uh, I, I remember you arrived with great fanfare and what maybe like, was it 1996 or seven when, uh, or um, so I started in September of 1994. So it was in, okay. in between the primary and general election of 94. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I um, I first met him when I was in college. Um, 
I grew up in New Jersey, came down to College Park. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anything. Um, and my junior year in college, I ended up doing an internship um, with Senator Bromwell in Annapolis. And mm. I ran across Mike. Um, but uh, in college, I was friends with um, one of his nephews, Pete DeRazio, and then eventually... Uh, Tommy and I, his son, were in the same fraternity, and oh. I was graduating in December of 89 and needed something to do until law school in August of um, 1990, so I just went to him and said, you know, and I've been working in the meantime, part-time at BK Miller uh, down in Clinton, Maryland, oh, um, carrying family. out chickens and working the drive-thru, and, uh, and so I just said to him, hey, I, I've got some time. Um, I need to do something between between December and, and August. Do you have anything? And so he said, yeah, well, why don't you start now? And that was about September of 89. Um, so my last semester in college, I worked a couple days a week down here, kind of like Jake said, you know, making coffee, watering plants, doing whatever you were supposed to do. Um, and my my big assignment in in that summer in that uh, winter, if you got a Christmas card from Senator Miller in 1989, uh, you have an autograph from me. It says Mike <laughs> and Patty, but it's really me. No, um, I don't want to hear this. <laughs> well, you know, and it, and it came from a really good place. He felt like people should see ink on a paper when they're getting something that he didn't want to send it to a print shop. He wanted people to know that time was taken to, to, to um, personalize it. And so, you know, boxes and boxes and boxes. Um, so anyway, I went to law school, came back my first summer uh, and then um, went to Covington and Burling for a year after law school in DC kept in touch with John Steerhoff, who was his first chief of staff and, and others at the time. And then, you know, in, in the summer of 94, John was leaving. Um, and much to my surprise, they called and said, do you want to come down and take John's place? And I was honestly too young and stupid to really appreciate what I was getting myself into. Um, <laughs> You know, I was 26 at the time, a year out of law school, but it, it, I always loved the place and I really enjoyed him. So um, I spent uh, three years doing that. And so I don't really remember my first meeting with him. It was kind of a series of things, but, um, you know, you could tell right away uh, he was going to be someone you wanted to be around. Huh. Yeah. And he likes to he likes to tell how he first met. He liked to tell how he first met Joe, who had an earring. Oh, yeah, I remember that. He, yeah, he loves that story. Um, <laughs> I will say, as anyone knows, about 80% of what his stories are are true. There's always a, there's always a uh, undercurrent of truth to them, but uh, he's not far off in that. Um, so, uh, yes, I, I, had heard, I heard about that for the better part of 30 years. Wow, yeah. Yeah. Well, you don't, you know, you don't look, you don't come off like a rebel now. You're, you know, <laughs> yeah, no. you're beating me down. Yeah. 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 So um, this is, you know, I, 
what's the, I mean, I'm going to, anybody can jump in, but, you know, what surprised you most about working for President Miller? And, you know, I mean, what were his his strengths as a leader and a boss? And, you know, if you don't mind saying, what aggravated you the most about him as a, as a boss? Uh, you can make the old guy go first, huh? Uh, so, I mean, the, the, the beauty of being around him was just his mind was always working. You know, there was always something churning. He was always thinking about how to, how to move things forward. Um, he was very, um, he was very good to staff. He was very reliant on staff and, and would say as much. And so, you really felt like you were participating um, when you were part of his staff. And so, uh, you know, just the collegiality and, you know, made you feel like you were part of the Senate family um, and just, you know, really fun to watch him think and watch him work. Um, you know, the, the downside is, as Vicky alluded to, he's always on and, you know, he he would call the office at 4.30 on New Year's Eve to make sure somebody was answering the phones. And <laughs> he would call you when he was by his pool doing scholarship applications just to make sure, you know, you were working as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I was fortunate in that it was before the time of cell phones. And I don't even know if I had, had a pager at that point. So um, it wasn't as 24-7 as, as I'm sure it became. But uh, he was always on and always working, and and you, you had to keep up with. Did because I mean he you know he he he's sort of widely recognized as being brilliant, but did he you know did he welcome feedback? Was there a given from his staff? Was he was there give and take too? And did he did he did he you know embrace and adopt some of your ideas along the way? Yeah, I mean, I, I made a mistake once, and I can't even remember what the issue was about or, or what it was, but he was going on a rant about some policy issue, and I uh, was just like, yeah, I mean, that's that's a fair point, and he just gave me this, like, nasty look, and he was like, what are you doing? Like, don't tell me what I want to hear. <laughs> I mean, tell me what you're thinking. I mean, on I like to joke with people that on uh, my good days, he would refer to me as his liberal conscience, and on his... My bad days, he would refer to me as Trotsky. Uh, <laughs> uh, it, it took, but he he liked being challenged. He liked, you know, getting pushed back. And he had this desire to to keep learning um, about all sorts of, like, I don't think any of us would ever, like, in a very serious way, try to say that we could keep up with his intellect. But I think we were all able to contribute from our different viewpoints. And I mean, we had discussions running the gamut on issues, but, you know, five, six years back when uh, the issue of um, civil rights on, on transgender uh, people was kind of at the, at the forefront, Mike had some very thoughtful conversations. And there was one that sticks out in my mind where we just sat down and he said, explain this to me, like, help me, help me understand it. And it was a great conversation. It was a very frank conversation, and he got behind it. I mean, it was one of these many, many issues that a guy, you know, an old white guy in his 60s and 70s uh, on paper shouldn't, but like felt very, very comfortable supporting. And it was a matter of he wanted to understand the issues so he could do the right thing. 
Well, and I, I think, you know, as we've talked about before, you know, he was always perceived as being this, this person that could be easily angered and go bananas and be furious. And, you know, I think coming, coming into the job, I, I was intimidated and a little concerned, like, is he going to just like lose it on me? <laughs> and, and I mean, he never did. He never, he would, he would get upset about things that were happening, but never direct it towards me or his staff. Um, and the other thing I learned after working for him for a number of years was he just somebody needed to be angry. He didn't have to be the one who was angry. <laughs> if I would storm in about something that I knew he was going to be upset about, which I was maybe upset too. And I was upset and I was going bananas. That was enough. He didn't need to go bananas because somebody was going bananas. Right. And, and he would say, calm down, calm down. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I told you how many times I used that trick once you told me about it. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody has to go bananas. It the way to have- diffuse his anger. <laughs> I, love it. I mean, I, I'd also say kind of to Jake's point, Mike didn't always think that he knew how to get where things were going. He knew where he wanted things to go and he knew what kind of the mood and he could read the room. But between zero and 60, he was very reliant on people to come up with ideas and and work around problems. And, um, you know, I had the good fortune of, of working with him outside of that job when I spent 11 years in the governor's office and really got to see a lot of that where, you know, it was clear we were, we were going somewhere and it was like, figure it out, talk to Vicki, figure it out. I mean, it was, it was very hands off from that uh, perspective. Um, And he really, you know, kind of along Jake's point from, uh, he didn't know a thing about the budget when I worked there, not a thing. And I mean, I had to learn every piece of it. And over the years, I think he he dug in and he he knew enough to be uh, able to provide direction and guidance on where he wanted things to go. And and um, you know, just watching him evolve in that way. And 2012 with marriage equality. I mean, he stood on the rostrum and voted no and said, I know I'm on the wrong side of history, um, but I'm voting no. And just that alone, the evolution and that process then, you know, led to the situation where Jake describes. And yeah, that's I mean, how he worked. Sorry, one of these stories that just jumps to mind is uh, 2015 after uh, the uprising in the city and everything. I, a, a full of myself staffer, walked into Mike's office and I said, I'm going to make sure he understands what the phrase Black Lives Matter means and what it doesn't mean. So that way he doesn't go out there and says something, right? I'm talking to an, an older white guy, like, make sure. And I walk in and I sit down and I've like prepared myself for this conversation. And I start and he just gives me a look like, hey, dumbass. And he says, no, I know, I know what it means. I know what not to say. What else you got? <laughs> I mean, but it was this incessant. You what not to say, though. <laughs> not always, but in that not situation, always. you know. <laughs> he would just, 
just get full access to the media every day after session, step off the rostrum and just talk to the whole gaggle. Yep. No, 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 no holds barred, no scripting, you know, at, and I learned very early on, there was no scripting of, yeah. of Miller. He, no. you, you could write talking points. He would, what was interesting is he would rarely ever use them for the particular event that you wrote them for. <laughs> But then a couple weeks later or months later, your talking points for something from three weeks ago would show up. Wow. And so he clearly, he clearly read what you wrote and processed it and knew it, but he would just sort of go with whatever was in the moment. Wow. Um, yeah. Um, well, Joe, I'm glad you mentioned, uh, you know, dealing with governors because obviously a lot of the, the Miller story is he, he uh, you know, he dealt with five governors as Senate president and then eight, if you go back to his, the beginning of his legislative career. Um, and, and Joe, you, as you said, you, you, you were the legislative liaison first for governor Glenn Denning and then later for governor O'Malley. Um, so, uh, you know, I assume he had different relationships with each of the governors, but I mean, was there sort of a, a general strategy for, dealing with these folks. And, you know, I imagine there were many he was in to certain degrees contemptuous of too, but, um, you know, what was the, what was the give and take like? I mean, he had a, you know, obviously a very public bad relationship with governor Schaefer. Um, when, uh, governor Glenn Denning got elected, they also had a long history together in the County and, uh, were not on the same side of whatever, teams exist down there. Um, and so it was predicted that, you know, it would be a very contentious relationship. Um, and, you know, kind of to his credit, Mike's, Mike's practical. And, um, you know, Governor Glenn Denning was the governor and he was from Prince George's County and Mike set out to, to make it work. Um, you know, I think, I think he would say kind of often that me being up there, whichever office it was, you know, was kind of a, a not a not a security blanket, but it was good. He it was good to know like that line of communication would not close, no matter what um, the relationship between the principals were. And uh, he he kind of always was like that. Um, he very much. Um, relied on on folks in, in our jobs and and others to work with other people. When I started and Cass Taylor was speaker, Cass was fighting with the governor that took on the role of Mike Miller. Um, but uh, but Tom Lewis at the time was was um, the speaker's chief of staff and and we just you know committed to keeping everything together and that's how it went. But Jake, Vicky, did you find that even if the even if President Miller was publicly feuding with the governor, were there sort of back channel discussions going on with you, you folks and you know staffers? I mean, that was always happening, regard whether it was feuding or not feuding. You know, the staff need to work together, and we always we always did. Um, but he, you know, he I think he always. He always, even if he didn't particularly like the individual, he respected the office. Um, and he, 
you know, he would find ways. I mean, his, his ultimate goal was to get things done. And so he would put aside whatever was bothering him at the end of the day to get things done. Whether it was with the speaker, Speaker Taylor or Speaker Bush or, you know, various governors he worked with, he, he it, the most important thing for him was to get things done. I mean, I think he would say something along the lines of, you know, both both alliances and uh, enmities are are temporary, right? Like, it, it would very much be an expectation that you know, he he would have his fights, but at the end of the day, he wanted to do what was best for the state. And if working for with the governor or with the speaker or with whoever was going to be what he or thought was the state, or against them, absolutely. I mean, when when Mike was against you, there was nobody. Like you were in real trouble, but when Mike was with you, like you could not ask for a better ally and he would be willing to be the bad guy. He would be willing to take whatever vote to do whatever was necessary to get it across the finish line. Hmm. Well, I mean, obviously a governor and a presiding officer, they're going to be clashes of egos, but he also had to manage a chamber of 46 other big egos with competing agendas and I mean, how did, how did he pull that off? That must have been a, you know, a, an incredible challenge. I can't eat, you know, it's like, I can't, I, you know, I can't manage a staff of six, you know, uh, how, how did he manage, uh, you know, uh, uh, the, the Maryland Senate? I mean, from what your staff says, I think they probably disagree with you on that one. <laughs> um, I mean, from, from my perception, and this might be the social worker me talking he was, he cared about them. Like he was, he was friends with them. He'd know about their family, he know, like, and he was there, like whether you were number one or 47 in his mind was kind of irrelevant in terms of like the personal relationship you had. I mean, every, when Mike passed away, I mean, we had senators who were there for, you know, who had known him for 50 years and senators who had known him for two years. And um, they, all felt like they had that relationship with him and it was real. Like it was, it was genuine. And I think that's really was the key to his success more than anything else. Yeah. He, he made everybody feel like they were a member of the Senate family. And yeah, that really, I mean, carried. he respected him. Yes. Yes. And, 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 and it, right. And he wouldn't, he, he knew when people could vote for things and when they couldn't, and he wouldn't ask people, to vote for things that they really couldn't vote for. Um, and, and they knew that. Yeah. I, and, and he, you know, if you, if you were Gerald Weingrad or Brian Frosch or Paul Pinsky and you knew the environment and you knew those issues, then you became the de facto kind of voice of the Senate on those issues. And, and I think even, even elected officials who are good leaders in their own right, they want leadership. They want somebody to be running the body. Um, and, and he did it very uh, ably. And I think, you know, it was interesting over time as whatever round it was of, you know, Mike's about to leave, who's next? Um, you know, a lot of, a lot of people who were around a while would privately say, geez, I don't, I don't want that job. I don't know how he does it. <laughs> And and it's true, and, and and he made it look a lot easier than it than it actually is in real life. 
Yeah, I, I, I think what Joe just said is key. Like, he didn't need to be the expert in everything because he relied on the people around him to be the experts. Um, and, and appreciated the fact that people had their expertise and, you know, he delved into it from time to time when he needed. But, like, letting senators be senators is something I think was so just key to his governing philosophy. I mean, he would frequently say in the first time I heard him say it, I thought it was just a line, but he meant it that the power in the chamber, it goes from the back to the front, from the back to the front. <laughs> we, we all do a imitation of uh, Tim Perry, imitating Joe Bryce, imitating Jerry Evans. But I mean, he, he genuinely believed that. And so letting member, letting senators, you know, be experts on issues was something he valued. And, um, and, and ultimately, I was going to say, ultimately, you know, he, he won over people that were considered to be his, you know, political adversaries. You know, he became very close. I mean, Brian Frosch, for example, was extremely liberal and viewed as being on the other side of Mike. And they became very, very dear friends. And and uh, I think it's the same for, for Paul Pinsky, you know, that they were potentially adversaries, except except as it related to Prince George's County. They always agreed on delegation issues, but on everything else, they came from a different place. But, you know, ultimately they became very close and Mike made him a chairman as well. Yeah. I mean, Rich Maddalino is another, is another great example. I mean, Mike probably progressed on, and Vicky would know this better than I, but Mike, Rest on on issues of of equality and LGBT more so because of relation his relationship with Rich and his family um, than than possibly anything else. It's just a very close relationship yeah. there. Yeah, and well, we don't have to go over this story now, but but ironically, Mike Miller is one of the reasons that marriage equality ultimately passed, even though he voted no. But hmm. that can be a story yeah. for another day. With with maneuvering, right? That's a good point. Um, we, we're, we're pretty much out of time, but I, I, I didn't want to let you all go without putting Jake on the spot for a minute and just asking him, you know, without revealing state secrets, uh, how, how's your job different under, uh, Senate President Ferguson than it was under uh, President Miller? And, you know, uh, I, probably like a 40 minute conversation, but <laughs> we'll tell us in 40 seconds. So, so I've joked with people, the biggest difference is, um, you go from a guy who, uh, Mike would use fax machines, right? Everything, got, and and later later on, uh, he started using email more. Towards the very end, he started using text more. Um, but it was really, you know, a, a fax machine. Like when he was not in the office, you fax things down to him. Um, Senate President Ferguson does not use a fax machine. Uh, <laughs> well, a lot never, of, never has, right? A lot of texting, a lot of a lot of other, but fax machines are not are not part of the picture. Yeah. Um, but you know, I think it's, it's fascinating. It's fascinating to watch. And, uh, president Ferguson and president Miller had a lot of conversations, um, over, you know, the transition and, and after, and, uh, every once in a while, president Ferguson will do something and I'll turn to Joy Walker, who, uh, I think everyone knows was with president Miller longer than anyone else has been in the office since I think 89, um, and it's just an invaluable resource. And I just turn to Joy and just say, that's a Millerism. Like, he's he's slipping. This is a, um, but really the facts and texting is just the most, like, stark contrast, I think. Yeah. 
Yeah. Well, and President Miller was very, he was very proud of President Ferguson. I mean, he, every time I talked to him, he could not say enough things about how proud he was of the job that, that President Ferguson was doing. And that's got, I mean, that's got to be comfort for the new guy replacing a legend too, you know, because it it didn't have to be that way, but that's very cool that, uh, you know, that he chose, that he thought that and chose to say it, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, I, I'm so sorry that we are, we are, we're out of time because I feel like we could go about three times longer and this has been a, a fun and fascinating conversation. And, you know, one day we'll have like the, you know, the, see the rest on YouTube or something, but you know, we're, not, we're not there yet. But um, anyway, I really, really appreciate uh, your time and insight. And it's, uh, it's just been fun to chat with you about, about a legend. So, so thanks to you all. Thanks for having Thank us. You. Good to see you all. Take care. That's it for another episode of Maryland Chatters. You can read our nonprofit, nonpartisan journalism at marylandmatters.org. And don't forget to sign up for our newsletter. Thanks again for joining us for some chatter that matters.